you, may, you may be seated. I think I wanted to say that. That's good. <laughs> wow, Tammy, that was, that was great. Um, great job and great music. That song is, uh, gets me every time. Uh, all right, well, uh, today we actually begin the brand new series uh, looking at the Gospel of Luke, and today we'll be in the first four verses of chapter one, the Gospel of Luke. Um, Wednesday, this past Wednesday night, we had our vision partner meeting, and part of the vision for 2020 uh, is to continue to, to minister to our neighbors here in Mid Park, to continue to uh, grow our small group ministry. So if you want to be part of any, any, you have any questions about the small groups, why are we doing small groups, how I can get involved with small groups, Danielle was your point person for that. Uh, we're also looking at ways to... Uh, to enhance our greeting on Sunday mornings, if you want to be part of that, or be part of our music team, Brandon is, is a great point person for that. But we're also ex- expanding something called Neighborhood Ministries, and exactly what Tammy was saying, we want to begin to really uh, take that a little bit further. And so if you want to know more about that, Andrew, as along with doing youth, is, is sort of the point person for that. So if there's something that Tammy said that really moved you, say, yes, I want to, I want to get more involved with that. Uh, please speak to Tammy or Andrew uh, following the service today. Well, uh, today is uh, it's one of those big holy days, right? It's called Super Bowl Sunday, right? And uh, I'm not sure if you know about this, but today, over a billion, I was it, was it, uh, let's see, uh, 1.4 billion chicken wings will actually be consumed today. All right, 1.4. For billion chicken wings. Actually, Pizza Hut will sell 2 million pizzas just during the Super Bowl. That's great. Isn't that awesome? 1.4 billion chicken wings. I mean, is anybody going to have chicken wings? There? I mean, that's a lot of chicken wings, right? And you, and you start to look at some of these numbers. Uh, what is it? $17.2 billion is spent on the Super Bowl. It's about $90 a person. That means someone's going to buy food today. Someone's buying a jersey today. Someone, a lot of people go and buy brand new TVs. That's a great excuse, right? I, got, I need a bigger TV to watch. And you think about like $17.2 billion. You know, when I look at that number, that is almost half. That is more than half of the country's GDP. Just today. It's just like today. And, and, and you go a little bit further, and, you, and then today, $6.8 billion is going to be waged. That, that, that people are going are to, and there's 26 million people actually participate in actually gambling today to say, you know what, I'm going to place a little money here to try to figure out what team is actually going to win. There are all these little bets about that. And you think about, you take all these numbers about this day, and you think about our poverty and our homelessness situation, and you think about that, the average gift that someone who's in the church that they make is only $17. But we're willing to spend $90 on the Super Bowl or consume over a billion dollars chicken wings or wage $6.8 million. And you think about, hey, it just puts everything in, in a different perspective. And that's why we're here in the Gospel of Luke. And that's why we're going to just... Just go a little bit deeper in this Gospel of Luke, because I think it's through the Gospel of Luke, and as we focus on one particular book of the Bible, that it opens up a lot of things. As Tammy was talking about, like I had time, I had to figure out, how do I organize my time? I think not just money and relationships, but 
but my priorities and what is the kingdom of God and why did Jesus come and, and why do people gather here and why are we singing all these songs? Who is this man named Jesus? If you look in your table of contents of your Bible, you see that there's 66 books in the Bible. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and, and 27 in the New Testament. And the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. And, and the important thing here to realize is, is that there are four Gospels. So I had a, a guy who was on our church staff in Seattle. He, had, he, had, uh, he was a recent Christian and uh, he was on our staff, and he said, when you, when you, when you came to faith in uh, Jesus, someone said, well, you got to read the New Testament. So he said, yeah. So I, I, I read the Gospel of Matthew. The gospel, I'm not, that's not bad. Okay. So then I moved on, and I read the Gospel of Mark. He says, then I started reading the Gospel of Luke. I was halfway through. and said, wait, this is the same stuff. Just like the whole Bible is just the same stuff over and over again. What I want to say is there is only one gospel. These are not four different gospels we start talking about. It's one gospel. And they all start at the, at the same place. They all end actually in the same place. They all talk about this person named Jesus. They talk about his life and different miracles, and his teachings, and they all talk about his great sacrifice on the cross, and they all end with the resurrection. It is just one gospel before accounts, and they're written by different people for a different situation for a little different purpose for each one. And really what I guess we could say here is that rather than this is Luke's gospel, this is not Luke's gospel, this is the gospel according to Luke. Just as we have the gospel according to Matthew, and the gospel according to Mark, and the gospel according to John, this is the gospel according to Luke. It's a very interesting. Luke was a very interesting man. Extra biblical historians, his, they call him this. Dr. Lucas Medicus. I'm going to mess that up. Antiochus, I think it is. It means that uh, it's Dr. Luke, a medical doctor from Antioch. That's right, Luke was a physician. He was, a, he was not Jewish, he was a Gentile. Many people believe that he, he came to faith he met Jesus in this place called Antioch, Assyria. In the, in the scriptures, there are two Antiochs. We have, we have the, the, the Antioch, where, uh, it's a, where the first name Christian is actually found, the, the, the uh, major church in the book of Acts, in Acts 13, where, Baal, I mean, where, where, where Barnabas and Saul were sort of sent off on their first mission. This is not that Antioch. This is the Antioch that is on the border of Syria and Lebanon. Wow, that's a pretty, pretty highly contested place right now. It was a, a place that, that there were Jews who, who had escaped Jerusalem and there were Gentiles there and, and that Luke was someone who came to faith based upon someone else's faith, that uh, he was a second generation follower of Jesus. And the first time uh, a, 
Paul references him as a, as a doctor is in the, the book of Colossians, in the fourth chapter. As he's going through a number of folks, he says, And our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Now, we don't know what kind of doctor he was, but we know that he was a medical doctor of somewhat. We also know that he was a fellow worker with Paul in the ministry and mission of Jesus. In the book of Philemon, Paul is in prison and writes and says, Luke, my fellow worker. That he participated in the mission and ministries of what God gave to Paul. He's also, we also find him in the book of Acts. Under, there's a number of passages in the book of Acts which is the story of the early church. And there's all these passages that have to do with we. We went this, and we did this. And so Luke is, is part of the we. First time we actually meet him, actually, is, is in, it's in Acts 16. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. I think, okay, there's Paul there. Who's we? That's Luke. We all got ready to leave Macedonia. And it goes on in Acts 20. But we sailed from Philippi after the feast of unleavened bread. And then we, we meet him again in Acts 27. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, what did we do? We boarded a ship. And so Luke also is attributed to writing the book of Acts. That actually his gospel, the gospel according to Luke, and the book of Acts were actually one book. And if you read the beginning of the book of Acts, it's very similar to the beginning of his gospel. And then we see toward the end of Paul's life that Luke was the only one by his side. That when Paul is, is writing to this young man named Timothy, he says, only Luke is with me. And right before this, he says, everyone else has deserted me. I'm all alone but only Luke is with me. A faithful friend, a faithful companion, a faithful servant, a, a, a faithful minister, a faithful follower of Christ. Even in those darker, darkest moments, he's there with Paul in prison. I mean, Luke was a, he was a Gentile Christ follower. He was someone who had a tremendous scientific mind. He was a historian. He was someone who chronicled the early movements of the church. He was a scholar. He was a missionary. That's, what this, that's who wrote this gospel. Interesting. Of the four Gospels, you would think it is the longest of the four Gospels. Of course, it's written by a scholar. It's written by a doctor. They never say anything pretty short, right? There's a lot of words. 24 chapters. 11,000 verses. 20,000 words. And you keep looking at it to 8% of the gospel, it deals with the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 
which is simply chapters 1 and 2. And then 25% of the gospel deals with the last week of Jesus' life. If you break it down like this, uh, chapters 1 and 2 of Luke's gospel deal with the first 30 years of Jesus' life. And then chapters 3 through 19 deal with the three years of ministry that Jesus has. And in Luke 20 and 24 deal with this the last week, the cross and the resurrection. And so today, our focus is looking at the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. Like a great scholar, like a great intellectual, he writes a preface to his Gospel. In these words, he will tell us, in these verses that, that he writes for us, he will tell us why I am writing. The, the sources that he is using, like any good intellectual, will, will actually reveal his sources. And at the end, he will tell us to whom and his purpose for writing. And this is what we have in, in, in Luke 1, verses 1 through 2. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account. It seemed good to me to write an orderly account. For you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Sort of go back and sort of break this down a little bit. What Paul is saying here is the gospel is reasonable. The gospel is, is reasonable. That, that faith, is not, faith is not just something that is subjective. That, that, that what I've done is, I am a physician, I'm a scientist, I'm a scholar. And so what I've done is, I have, I have taken all these sources and what I have before me, and some believe he had the Gospel of Mark with them, and some believe he had the Gospel of Matthew with them, and he had some other, some other things as well. But what he did was, he said, listen, I, I have put all this together, and the Gospel that I'm going to present to you it's reasonable. It's rational. What the underlining says, faith is not subjective. But that, that actually, that faith is a God-given ability to see what is true. But you don't just check your brain. It's all emotional. No, no. The faith in Jesus Christ, I've researched it. That what I'm going to present to you in this orderly account is a reasonable presentation of the gospel. He says that many have undertaken this task. Many have come before me, and they have, and they have written about things that have been fulfilled. That, that they have... That, that they, they have told the story and told the account of how God has acted in history. That God exists 
and decided to act in history and to bring all these things that he has talked about into fulfillment. That's what faith is all about. It's having the God-given ability to see what is true, what is before us. And so he starts off and says, you know what? It's reasonable. It's rational. Then he goes on and says that the gospel, it's credible. I'm going to tell you why it's credible. There is great debate about the, all the books in this Bible and how all these books came to be. And there's great theories about it that, 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 that did, did just a bunch of, of, of men go, go away for a weekend and they said, huh, I wonder what books we should, we should put in this Bible. I like that one, and I like that one. Okay, then let's just say this is it. That's not how it happened. I'm sorry to bust your bubble on that. It's not how it happened. Actually, the, the manuscript evidence of the books in the Bible are more than anything in which we take for granted in the, our literary world. There was a test, and this is the test. They're all in A's. The test was about authorship. The test was about authenticity. There's a test on accuracy. There's a test about authority. There were tests about agreement. The Bible just didn't happen right after Jesus died. But all the Gospels were actually written within about a span of 30 to 40 years of Jesus' death. Gospel of John is probably a little bit longer. It's written toward the end of the first century. But, but I would say most of, almost all of the New Testament writings are within that first century. Now, there are many other Gospels out there. There's a Gospel of Thomas that's out there. It's very, very famous. Uh, there's a Gospel of Philip. Uh, uh, Mary has a, has a Gospel. And so... These Gospels are sort of put out here, and, but they didn't make the test. See, the Gospel of Thomas is not even written by Thomas. It has nothing to do with Thomas. It, 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 it's basically this, this marriage of philosophy with the person of Jesus. And it's a mixture of the two. It's all these sayings put together. You can read it. It's not going to hurt you to read it. The Gospel of Philip and the Gospel of Mary... But what happened was, was, that, was that when the church got together and the church began to say, okay, what books are you using? What writings are you using? It was pretty clear. Over, I would say over about 85%, maybe 90% of the, of the books of the Bible that we have, they all pass on the first vote. Like, yes. There was never any doubt about the gospel, Luke. Right, we know who who actually wrote the gospel. Luke's is very clear. This is, I wrote this. And he's very clear about it being authentic. This is and about being accurate and how it was received and how it was used. I mean, just like I could take something and I could read it here and you say, no, Brian, that's not true because I want to tell you the source of it. We sort of do that with our lives as well. But the common practice was, was, was this book 
Gospel Thomas was, no. It wasn't accurate. It didn't, it didn't meld with the rest of all the other books that we have here. So the Gospel of Luke met that test. Because see, the scriptures weren't decided by, by a, I like to say, like a, by a bunch of folks. It wasn't like just a vote. It was were discovered. It was a process over centuries. And that's, that leads us to the scriptures that we have. When, when Luke says, I carefully investigated, he, he, in the original language, the Greek language here, he uses a Greek medical term for autopsy. And what he's saying here is that, that what we have, my, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel that I'm presenting to you, the story of Jesus, of his life, of his birth and his life, and all these miracles and his death and resurrection is actually, I, I have studied it. I've approached it as an autopsy, and these are my findings. I, and what he says is, is that, hey, I went and I, and I looked, listened to the oral history I met with eyewitnesses. Many, many people believe that, that he interviewed Peter. He interviewed a number of the disciples. And, of course, he, he, he met with Paul and all the journeys with Paul. Some, some people believe that he actually sat down with the brothers of Jesus, uh, James, especially as he was leading the church in Jerusalem. And, and, he, and he read from, from the Gospel of Mark, and he read from the Gospel of Matthew, that he, that he did this autopsy on who is Jesus and the work of Jesus. And so what we have here is really his findings. It's, it's, it's his research. And what he's saying is that, you know what, our faith in Jesus needs to be examined. Don't believe in Jesus just because I believe in Jesus. That will get you about an hour. That each one of us needs to examine, why do I believe what I believe? Do I believe this is true? How did all the, the books of the Bible come together? That, that God has given us a mind that it's got to be examined. It's, it's reasonable. It's rational. It's credible. Have you examined your faith? Have you, have you taken the time to actually sit down and say, why do I believe what I believe? That's what... That's what Luke is trying to get to here. Lastly, he says the gospel is personal. That he writes this gospel to this man that he calls the most excellent Theophilus. The word Theophilus means, it's a mixture of two Greek words, theos, which means God, phileo, which means love, one of the love words, someone who, who loves God. And, and so there's some theories out there that maybe he was writing to all of those who love God. But before he introduces Theophilus, he puts these words, most excellent. And he uses this several times in, in the book of Acts. And every, every time he uses the word most excellent, these, these two words together, he's always referencing a king, someone of honor, someone of great prestige. Distinction. And so some historians believe that, that Luke 
Luke has been discipling this, this leader of great distinction. And he has come to faith. And what Luke is, is wanting to do with this gospel is give him not just the knowledge, but the certainty that it's true. He says, that, that's why I'm writing this, Theophilus. I'm writing this because you, you know the facts. But are you certain about those? I believe certainty is, is this emotional confidence in God. My, I, was, I was taught growing up that after you eat, you have to wait 30 minutes to go swimming. Anybody else? Ah, I caught you. That's right. So, when my son was younger, I said, nope, you got to wait 30 minutes. You got to wait 30. Oh, you got 22. Well, we got to get it. Of course, I'm married to a nurse who's a scientist. She says, that's a bunch of baloney. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. So I Googled it. Yes, right. It's not true. It's not true, right? I mean, I mean, what's going to happen? All you do is you get a cramp, but it's not going to get like this massive cramp. But I lived with this my whole life. I even passed it on to my kid. It wasn't true. I didn't examine it. But I was certain of it. Oh, I was certain of it. I think there's a difference between knowing and then being certain of it. And we see this here when, in the Old Testament when, when, when Caleb and Joshua come back. And, 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 and they, um, they had come back to the leadership. And, they're, and they went and spied and, and they saw the promised land. Even though there are people living there, this is what Caleb says. Then Caleb silenced the, silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up. We should do this. We should, we should go up and, and take possession of the land for we can certainly do this. We can do this. And right after this, right after this, you know what the people said? No, we can't. No, we can't. Because the enemy to them was stronger than the power of God. We see this later on when, when, when Joshua, the, the, this young leader, the Lord is speaking to Joshua in the third chapter. He says this, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. This is, this is how you will know that I am living and I am with you, that you will certain, that, I, that he, that I will certainly drive out the enemy. What we have here, the Lord is saying, there's a difference between knowing who I am and then being certain that I will come through and I will deliver. So what Luke is trying to emphasize to this new believer in Theophilus. Paul picks it up in Romans 6 and says this, If we have been united with him, with Christ, like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Many people were doubting just because Jesus died and Jesus raised from the dead. Will that happen? What, what will happen to me when I die? Where am I going to go when I die? Well, Paul is saying, listen, you can be certain 
there is a unity when you come to Christ. That when he, because he died and he was raised, so will you be raised. And I want you to be certain of this. You don't have to worry about it anymore. But what does the serpent say early on? I know God said not to eat from the apple. Go ahead. You're certainly not going to die. There's a difference between hearing something, knowing something, and being certain of it. It's because of this little question of uncertainty that leaves Eve and our early parents to take the apple. You know, I think it's okay to doubt. We have this thing in the church and the Christian faith where you can't doubt. I think part of it is, is that we're scared if we doubt. We're scared to ask questions. And so we don't. And then someone comes along, a college professor, tells you, well, I don't think Moses wrote the first four, five books. I think someone else, oh, no, they never taught me this. And, oh, and the whole thing breaks down. I think there's plenty of room to ask questions. God's not intimidated. God's not afraid. Some, I think it's okay. Because I do. I doubt. I love Descartes. He, he spent this, his whole life, he was this famous philosopher, and he spent his whole life doubting everything. He doubted that that, that chair existed, and that was that color, and, and he doubted all this stuff, and he gets to the end of his life, and he realized, wait a second. Oh, I'm certain of one thing. I'm certain that I'm a person. And I have a mind. Because... I'm doubting. And so I can't question who I am as a person. And so he came up with this famous phrase, right? I think, therefore I am. Because I am thinking, that means I guess I'm a person. And his doubting led him to great certainty. I think sometimes by asking a question, it sort of unlocks us. And, and if we are in a great community, or you're in a small group, and you're guided by, and we're guided by the scriptures, it leads us, I think, to a greater sense of faith. And I have many, are you sure, God moments? Are you sure that you are real? Are you sure that you exist? Are you sure that you're going to fulfill that? I don't Luke's gospel opens that up. He's saying, listen, there, life is going to come at you, and there's going to be all these things that young Theophilus, and you're going to wonder these things, and I want you to investigate. So Luke said, I had to investigate myself. I had to write down my own gospel. I had to investigate who this Jesus was. And it leads me to this point of certainty that then I want to give it to you, young Theophilus, and I want you to examine it 
And I want to put it in as, as evidence, as something reasonable and incredible and reliable, but you got to make it personal. And so what are your certainties about God? What are you certain about God? You believe God's here. You believe God exists. You believe God's loving. You believe he's powerful. You believe he forgives. You believe he gives gifts to people. You believe that he came, came his son Jesus. You believe that because one man died on the cross, all sins are forgiven. Why did he have to die on the cross? Why couldn't he just live a long life? Do you believe that these words here are, are true? And what is certain for you? I believe we're living in this generation of great skepticism and doubt, but there's got to be, if we go through that, it will lead us, I think, something certain. And for me, I have to write them down. When I begin the day, I've been writing things down to say, okay, as I begin this day, this is what I'm certain about, Lord. Because there's a difference between knowing and then walking in faith. And I believe that, that as I take God's word and I apply it to my life, and when I walk in faith and it becomes reality, then what? I go, I'm certain of that truth. Like, I'm certain God is here. I'm certain that, that God changes lives. I'm certain that Jesus is raised from the dead. I'm not saying that because I'm paid to say that or I'm a professional Christian. I actually believe that. I believe God can, is on the move, and he's powerful, and he's mighty, and he can speak to us, and he's true, and he's good, and he's loving. What are your certainties? Write them down. It's okay to write, I have no certainties of you. But I'd like to know. Here's, here's one of mine. I'll put number 10. The Lord is coming. He will save me, so I need not be anxious or afraid. Isaiah 35.4 that says, be strong. God is with you. A study was done in Great Britain. They had two, two groups of people. The first group of people, they said, hey, we're going to come and we're going to take you one by one and we're going to give you an electric shock. Oh, wow, that sounds like fun. Thank you. The other people over here says, we're going to, that 50% 50, 50 of you, we're going to take and give you an electric shock. It's a weird study, right? So the group over here was like, okay, it's coming. We're all going to get it. I'm not worried about it. They were calm, and their stress level was here. People over here, oh, stress level went high. Their heart rates were huge. They started freaking out. Same thing with a job loss. They say that 
that the job loss, actually losing your job, is down here. The uncertainty of finding the next job, the stress goes way up. There's something about how God created our minds that we've got to live in some certainty. That God is real. God is true. That's why we're here in the Gospel of Luke. It's a scholarly, researched, reasonable, credible, personal gospel presentation of Jesus. I'm not sure where you are with him, but I invite you into the study with us. I invite you to bring your questions with us. I invite you to come and discover the beauty and the goodness of Jesus, how he changed Luke's life and Theophilus' life and my life and maybe yours. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we gather here today, we thank you for the gift of this day. And Lord, we pray that as we begin the study in the Gospel of Luke, that you will walk with us. But there are things in our lives, Lord, that we need anchors in our life, that we need to be grounded to something that maybe we've been scattered and living in doubt and, and fear and in great uncertainty. And maybe today's the day that we come and say, Okay, I don't know everything, but I want to know more about Jesus. Maybe that's a good, that's a good thing, Lord. Or maybe I've, I've just believed just because I believed versus actually questioning and examining. And so Luke has done that for us, and, but he encourages us to do that. And maybe this week we began to, to study on our own who Jesus is and why he's good and right and beautiful. Oh, Lord, if there's any uncertainty in this room, I pray. If it's bring any stress or worry, I pray. Isaiah 35, 4 over us, Lord, that we don't, Jesus is coming. God's on the move. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. Thank you for your word, presentation of today, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. We toss the prayer by saying together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen.